Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 24 about Rebecca's decision to be a bride for Isaac and how new believers make the ultimate choice to be spiritually married to the Lord Jesus Christ and getting saved. Now, before we begin with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God, we'd like to encourage you to consider making a contribution to this radio program. 100% of it will go towards keeping this Bible teaching radio program on the air in your city. We don't have any cost towards administrations, and it's 100% tax deductible. It will also have a matching donation that goes towards Israel Restoration Ministries and our Jewish evangelism outreach that reaches over 1.5 million lost Jewish people a year with the gospel, as well as many Gentiles. But we'd like to encourage you to give your 100% tax-deductible donation by donating online at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or calling us now or after the program at 800-247-3051, Again, 800-247-3051. Help us to continue airing on this station in your city. Now, we also have exciting news that Tom Cantor has finished his Friendship with God Study and Resource Bible, with over 2,200 pages and over 600 pages of Bible helps and resources, including 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references, as well as 12 custom-made color maps and a full nine-page color chart of the History of Israel timeline map, not to mention an incredible concordance and all these other helps and resources personalized by Tom Cantor to help you grow your friendship with God. You can obtain this by calling us now or after the program at 800-247-3051. With shipping and handling, it's $89.99. We'll send that to you. So get the Tom Cantor Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible for $89.99. Call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, or go online to friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's Tom Cantor with today's teaching. He's creating these situations, praying a lot, and then when you see God's answered prayer, then he's right away, he's giving thanks to God, and he's worshiping. It makes him happy. It's an example for us. It's an example for us in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, as we saw, rejoice evermore. How, how are you going to rejoice evermore? Like Eliezer, you're going to look for God's answers to prayer. It says rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing. Ceasing. See? He prays without ceasing, and he says, in everything give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So he prays, and he sees. When he sees, he rejoices, and then he worships, give thanks. Now, after he worship, worships, then we see what he does next. In verse 53, the servant brought forth jewels of silver, jewels of gold, raiment, gave them to Rebekah. He gave also to her brother and her mother precious things. We can hear Laban saying, finally. (laughs) But here we see Eliezer, and he's so gladly giving these gifts. You you really have the sense that, you know, it really looks like Eliezer here, he's been anxious to give these gifts. You know, Laban says, finally, and Eliezer says, finally, you know, he really wants to do this. It's an elaboration here in verse 53. You know, they talked about the silver and the gold and the raiment and the precious thing. It's like Christmas, you know, (laughs) and it's got a bag. And he's pulling out one gift after another. Oh, here's the silver. Here's some gold, you know. Here's something nice to wear. And then comes out precious things for her brother, Laban, and her mother, Bethuel. Now, by the way, we see these two uh, prominent people here, Laban and Bethuel, and conspicuous by his absence, her father. You know, we don't know what happened. Maybe he died, or maybe he was away on a business trip. I don't know. But anyways, he's just not there. So this scene 
of Eliezer being so generous. He's not stingy at all. I mean, giving all these gifts, it reminds us, it's a picture of just how generous our God is. He loves to give gifts. He's very happy, as the Lord Jesus Christ said about the Father. He said, Heavenly Father is generous, is what he says. And in fact, he says, the Lord Jesus says, we should be like our Heavenly Father in how generous he is. And he says this in Matthew 5.45 when he said, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. So what that represents for us in Matthew 5.45 is really the first of four commands where we are commanded to be like the Father, to be like our Heavenly Father. We are commanded to be like God. So this is the first one. It says, you should be like your Heavenly Father. It says, that you may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven. And this is it. That he sends, it says that he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sendeth his rain on the just and on the unjust. So in this verse, we're commanded to be like our Heavenly Father by being generous to everyone, especially to include the evil and the unjust people as well. You'd be like that, he says, then you're like your Heavenly Father. That's the first command of how we are to be like our Heavenly Father. The second command of how we're to be like our Heavenly Father is found in Luke 6, 35 through 36. Luke 6, 35 36, where he said, But love ye your enemies. He said, By love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. That's something. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. So in this verse, this second command, we are commanded to be like our Heavenly Father by loving our enemies. And then he elaborates in three ways that we express our love to our enemies. First, we do good to them. Do good to your enemies. Do good to our enemies. Second, we lend money, our money, to our enemies, even though we know there's very little likelihood they'll pay us back. We all have friends like that. And third, he says, be merciful to your enemies. So those are three tangible ways. Do good to them, lend them money, and be merciful to them. And that's all encompassed in that second command of how we are like to be like our Heavenly Father. The third command of how we are to be like our Heavenly Father is found in Ephesians 4.32, which is the last verse in the chapter 4, and then it carries through to the next verse, which is Ephesians 5.1. So it's Ephesians 4.32 through Ephesians 5.1, where it says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. See, in this verse, we're commanded to be like our Heavenly Father by treating believers well. Again, and then it gives three ways about how we treat believers well. He says, first of all, be kind one to each other. Second, be tender-hearted, be understanding, have a soft heart, show a little milk of kindness, you know, to each other. And then third, forgiving to each other. And he says, if we do this, then we'll be like our Heavenly Father. 
The picture that we see here of Eleazar showering these gifts on Rebecca and her family, that's a picture of how God showers his gifts on us. And when we read in verse 53 about, it says this word, the precious things. He gives precious things. That's the Hebrew word, migdana, migdana. And it comes from the same root as meged. And, and Moses wrote about these precious things in Deuteronomy 33. And in this chapter, Deuteronomy 33, Moses knows that he's going to soon die. He knows that he's about to check out of this earth. And he's going to die soon. So in Deuteronomy 33, he says, okay, now I'm going to go. I'm going to die. So I'm going to bless each of the tribes of Israel. That's what he does. And so when he gets to the tribe of Joseph, he begins to speak about the, the precious things that God has given. And he says in verses 13 through 16 of Deuteronomy 13 through 16, he says, and of Joseph, he said, blessed of the Lord be his land. Now he's going to talk about Joseph's land. And then he says, For the precious things of heaven, for the dew and for the deep that coucheth beneath, and for the precious fruits brought forth by the sun, and for the precious things put forth by the moon, and for the chief things of the ancient mountains and the precious things of the lasting hills, and for the precious things of the earth, and fullness thereof, and for the goodwill of him that dwelt in the bush. Let the blessing come upon the head of Joseph and upon the top of the head of him that was separated from his brethren. So in these verses, Moses is leading Israel to think about the precious things from God. Moses could have wrote this hymn, Count Your Blessings, name them one by one, that's what he's doing here. And he's speaking about precious things from heaven. You know, the dew that falls at night and waters the ground, and the rain, which we got yesterday. Wasn't that wonderful? Those are precious from God, as precious from God. And then Moses refers then next to how precious the waters are that are under the earth, and they just come up with a spring. They just spring right up there. So, yeah, speaking of water, I don't know, this distracted me. I thought it was a cat. I thought, what's he doing in here? And then he refers to the precious things the sun brings forth, like the fruit on the trees and the vegetables and the grass that the cattle eat. So much grass in Africa. You know, and then he, Moses refers to the precious things that the moon brings forth. You know, the moon. I mean, well, I remember one time I was traveling with my friend Avi in Israel and we were driving to Caesarea and we stopped and there was this field and he pointed out to me this flower. I've never seen a flower like this. He said it's closed during the daytime and then the moonlight makes it open. That's precious. Moses refers to these precious things, then the hills like the gold and the silver. And with these thoughts of the precious things that God has given, then Moses then turns and says, now that you're thinking about that, why does God give all those precious things? Because he has goodwill to us. And then I want you to think about that's the goodwill of him that dwelt in the bush, the burning bush. So the message that came out of the burning bush was that, Moses, I want you to, I want to save Israel from extinction. Uh, from extermination here, dying Jewish people in Egypt. I've come down. And that was the goodwill of him that dwelt in the bush. Why was God in the bush? Because the bush is where Moses was. Moses was by these bushes. So he wanted to save Israel through Moses, so he came and dwelt in the bush. Why did God become a man in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because that's where man is. Man is with man. That's a profound statement, I know. And so he wanted to come where man was. So like we said in John 1.14, the word was made flesh dwelt among us, we beheld his glory. So just as God came into the bush, 
God came into flesh to reach man. And it was all about goodwill, the goodwill, the precious things, the goodwill of God, the goodwill. And he came in the flesh. And when he came in the flesh, the angels said in Luke 2.14, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill to men was goodwill. Now, in verse 54, Eliezer finally allows everybody to eat. He says, now we can eat. And it says that, and the men were, they couldn't eat either. Nobody could eat. But in verse 54, it says, And they did eat and drink, he and the men that were with him, and tarried all night, and they rose up in the morning, and he said, Send me away unto my master. So the food, maybe it got a little cold, I don't know. But anyways, now the time for the celebration. And everybody is eating and drinking. It's just a joyous time, and he spends the night. Spends the night. So now we can see, when we come to the next verse here, that the party... And this good time, it didn't cause Eliezer and his men to say, well, let's just sleep in. You know, we had a lot of partying last night, let's just sleep in. No, no, no. It says, in the morning, the point is made. In the morning. They rose up in the morning, and he said, send me away unto my master. So we see here Eliezer, he's very focused on the fact that his job is not over until he delivers the bride to Isaac. And we see him getting up here in the morning, he's agitated. And the first thing he says is, send me away unto my master. You know, you think about Eliezer a little bit. I mean, he had never been treated so well before. He's a servant, you know. But all that food and that drink and Rebecca's family, I mean, they're treating him like royalty, you know, already. And he's just a servant for Abraham. He doesn't even, we don't even have the honor of seeing his name here in this chapter. I mean, he's like a nobody. But he's treated like a king with this party. I mean, he's like in Las Vegas, and they've given him the penthouse suite, you know, and every pleasure he could imagine. It's all there. And we can imagine how tempting it was for Eliezer to say, you know, what would it hurt if we just stayed here a little longer, after all? You know, give this, you know, the dusty trail or all these pleasures. It sure beats that 125-mile ride on the back of a camel home. So let's just stay a while. Let's just enjoy it. Not Eliezer. Not Eliezer. What we see Eliezer doing, the first thing in the morning, he wants to go. He wants to leave. All that eating and drinking, that didn't make Eliezer forget his mission. He presses them for an immediate decision to send him away now with Rebecca. See, his refusal to let his desire to continue to enjoy the pleasures in Rebecca's house and instead press on to finish his mission, that's an example for us of what the Lord Jesus Christ said in Luke 9.23. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, deny his own desires for pleasure, and take up his cross daily, going to be a daily issue, and follow me. See, that took a lot of denying himself for Eliezer to want to cut that short with all that royal treatment. That's where he's a great example. You know, the world affords us a lot of opportunities to enjoy ourselves. I mean, the voice of temptation, same one that came to Eliezer. Take it easy in life. Don't knock yourself out already. Tomorrow you can do the will of God. There'll be plenty of opportunities to serve God. Now's the time to enjoy, kick back, enjoy yourself. You've earned it. You deserve it. Don't work so hard to serve God. And we have examples in the Bible of people who did yield to that temptation, such as Gehazi, Elijah's servant, where he saw this opportunity, he says, well, you know, Elijah's a fool. I mean, this man's offering him gold, and Naaman the Syrian is offering him gold and raiment and so forth. He doesn't want to enrich himself, but I'd like to enrich myself. And so I'll just go there. What's the harm? A little white lie, you know, Elijah went there. Take some gold. So after all, he was just trying to enrich himself a little for his retirement, because the pay wasn't so good with Elijah. 
When he returned to Elijah's house, Elijah said to him in 2 Kings 5.26, he said unto him, Went not my heart with thee? When the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee, is it a time to receive money and to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maidservants? See, for Eliezer, he knew this was not the time for him to live it up and enjoy himself. He had work to do. We'll return with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, on Friendship with God in just a moment. We'd like to encourage you to sign up for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse. It's available for free, signing up with your email by going to friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also donate online at friendshipwithgod.org to support this Bible teaching radio program. You can also call us now or after the program with your support and donation at 800-247-3051, It'll help us to continue airing on this station in your city. You can also call us for a free gift for a lost Jewish friend that you know that needs to be reached with the gospel. Tom Cantor and Israel Restoration Ministries will give you a free gift to reach your lost Jewish friend, and that's made available by your donations and your support, but we'll provide that free if you have a lost Jewish friend that needs to be reached with the gospel. Call us at 800-247-3051. And likewise for us, this is not the time for us down here on earth to say, well, I can't wait till I get to retirement. I'm going to enjoy myself finally. We have work to do as long as we're here on earth. When our work is done and the role is called up yonder, that'll be the time. So Eliezer, he asked them to say, send me away. And they respond in verse 55. And her brother and her mother said, let the damsel abide with us a few days and at the least 10. After that, she shall go. Now, notice how they respond here. They respond with this kind of this indefiniteness of exactly how long she'll stay. You know, a few days. Usually a few days means three. You know, a couple is two and a few is three, right? (laughs) Notice what they said. They said, you know, let the damsel abide here with a few days at the least 10. So now there's a redefinition of what few means. It's at least 10. And Eliezer's no fool. He's heard that. When he saw that they redefined this, the few, he understood, I got a problem on my hands. And the problem was that there was a disconnect now between what they said and what they were doing. See, they promised in verse 51, Behold, Rebekah is before thee. Take her, go. Let her be thy master's son's wife, as the Lord hath spoken. But now in verse 55, they're not letting her go. They're not letting her be taken. They're not letting her be taken as Isaac's wife, as the Lord hath spoken. So Eliezer's faced with this problem of their say-so doesn't match their do-so. And Eliezer is not the only person who's ever faced that problem, where the say-so doesn't match the do-so. And the Lord's faced with this problem. I mean, how many times have we sung, I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Jesus, I surrender. And then we sing that, and then do we surrender all? Or we say, oh Jesus, I have promised to serve thee till the end. And does our life look like that? of service to God to the end. My life, my all, I give to thee, thou Lamb of God who died for me. I'll live for him who died for me. And then the question is, have we given our lives to the Lamb of God who died for us? So just as Eliezer hears their commitment to send Rebekah away in verse 51, so God hears our commitments to surrender all to him, serve him to the end, give him our life, our love, and live for him forever. And just as Eliezer saw that when it came time to send Rebekah, there was this refusal to send her, and it was couched in this indefinite delay. Yeah, a few days, at least 10. After that, she'll go. 
And so we have the same refusal of the surrender, the serve, the give, the live, and it's couched in the form of later, after I've done this, after I've accomplished that, then, just like Eliezer, the Lord Jesus Christ was faced with this refusal couched in this form of an indefinite delay. He saw whenever he heard these words, let me first go and, and he heard that. In Luke 9, 57 through 62, where it says, And it came to pass that as soon as that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. And he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Well, it seems like enough. Why would that request be turned out? Bury your father. I mean, how many times do you have to bury your father? Just once, you know. And Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. So he said, no. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go and bid them farewell, which are at my home and to my house. So he's going to leave them forever. What's so bad? He's got to go home and say goodbye. Jesus said unto him, no man, no man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. See, it's significant that in both these cases, the two, they couched their refusals to follow with a delay in the form of, let me first go. See, both of them called Jesus Lord. Both of them said Lord to Jesus. They called him Lord, but they didn't obey him. Their say-so did not match their do-so. Both these men and the disciples called Jesus Lord, but the difference was the, the immediate obedience was missing. See, in the case of these men, they call him Lord, but they don't immediately follow him. Later, I'll follow you. First, I go. In contrast... When you take the case of Peter and Andrew and James and John, their obedience was so dramatic, there wasn't one shred of later after I first go and. And this is what set Peter and Andrew and James and John apart. And it's one word. It's translated as two English words. It's the same Greek word. It's one word. And you might want to turn to it. Matthew 4, 18 through 22. If you could please turn to that. I don't ask you to turn to very many past scriptures, so it's not such a hardship. <laughs> okay, Matthew 4, 18 through 22. So here in this passage, it's a calling of Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And it says in Matthew 4, 18, Jesus walking by the sea of Galilee saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea. And they were fishers. And he saith unto them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them, and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Just think about this. I mean, think about what happened here. I mean, one day, the Lord Jesus is walking on the seashore of Galilee, and he sees two brothers, Peter and Andrew, and they're working together, the two brothers. They're casting their net into the sea. And that was one of several nets that they had. I mean, those nets, what did those nets represent to them? Those nets represented their livelihood. They made money with those nets. And those nets were their financial security. I mean, those nets, they represented their working together as brothers. They were throwing the net in unison for it to land on the water and they catch the fish. They represented a camaraderie of work, working together as brothers. That net was one of several nets that they had. See, the net that they were using it was just that one right then, but they had several nets in case one got a hole in it, they could use the other one. And after they worked in the sea, then they would, would they mend their nets. So those nets were important. That represented their assets. And the care of those nets represented the focus 
of their attention. And so those nets gave them an identity. As it says, they were fishers in verse 18. They're casting a net, for they were fishers. Their family had been fishermen. So just those nets bound those fish together. Those nets bound all the people in the family together as fishermen. So those nets represented their family heritage. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the Lord Jesus appears, and he calls them them to leave the nets and follow him. And for them to leave those nets, that meant they were leaving their financial security. They were leaving the feeling of camaraderie, of working together as brothers. They were leaving their focus of their attention, of their care of the nets. They were leaving their identity as fishermen. They were leaving their family heritage. And one day, at one moment, the Lord Jesus comes to them and says, follow them, which meant leave their nets. And they did. And that's why the word is so important in verse 20, where it says, and they straightway left their nets and followed him. The Greek word is eutheos, and and it's a critical statement. And this statement here, when they straightway, the eutheos, right away, left their nets. That set Peter and Andrew apart from the ones we just read about. And they looked at their nets, and they saw those nets. They knew they represented financial security, camaraderie, identity, family heritage. And they didn't say, you know, I'll leave my nets to follow you, but let me first get another source of finances. Or let me first go and sell these nets at least, and I could build up a little kitty here for me to live off of. Or I'll leave my nets to follow you, but let me first have time to study who's following you, because those are going to be people I'm going to work with. just want to make sure I can work with these people. Thank you for listening to our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, and the Friendship with God radio program. Tom Cantor is the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. And if you'd like to work for Tom Cantor in Israel Restoration Ministries, building relationships and discipling God's lost nation of Jewish people, we want to find people who want to be missionaries to Jewish people, full-time, part-time, and even volunteers. If you're interested, call us for more information or to support Jewish evangelism with your donation. 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. 